It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Week 11 AFC Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and joining me on this lovely Wednesday afternoon, PFF's finest host of the Unexpected Points Podcast, Kevin Cole. Kevin, happy Wednesday. Happy Week 11, man. How's it going? It's going well. I mean, what's good is we can really wrap this up quickly because you out there listening, all your guys are injured. We already know that. We already know they're all injured. They're out of here. You picked up, you know, Christian Watson or someone to throw in there. He won't catch another touchdown the entire rest of the season. So you don't have to worry about anything going forward. So that's why we can delve into some other topics. And I wanted to – no catchphrase update. Although oh. – although, um, Props to Ninja. Uh, two straight victories for your for your Lions. So you know, moving on, moving on there. We'll get to them in the NFC Nin- pod. Kevin, um, Kevin. Uh, I mean, Ninja gets it, man. That's all. I'm yeah, saying. he gets it. He understands. He understands what's going on. Restore the roar is coming back. Ever since we've brought Ninja into the fold. Um, second update though is that some breaking news that we missed last week, right after taping. So it may seem out of date at this point. Is those of you following around a uh, cryptocurrency exchange? Um, went down FTX went down and this brings back to a point that I would have to say you were a little dismissive of a take <laughs> that I had a couple of weeks ago about Brady and Giselle's at the time impending divorce which hadn't really been finalized maybe being about losing all their money in cryptocurrency and I'm looking through after this and I found an article from the ever reliable thesportsrush.com um, saying that they invested their combined $650 million net worth in an equity stake at FTX. Now, I'm going to say up front, I don't think that's true. I don't know where they're getting this information from. I highly doubt they put their entire net worth into FTX. But for the sake of my argument, I'm going to go with it. And, you know, Brady was the, listen here, Brady was the brand ambassador and Giselle was an environmental and social initiatives advisor for the company. So, hey, Maybe, you know, maybe a little something there. Do you think? Do I get some credit now for that take in retrospect? I was trying to see. We must have talked about it on a pod. I was seeing if we went talked about it on a DM. But you called this like a month before it happened, man. So I will give you the long overdue uh, deserved credit. And, yeah, I did see that similar headline. I think that, that's their combined net worth fortune yeah. together. And, like, they became They got some sort of so. equity stake, like, yeah. for their work. I'll give them that. But, yeah, I don't think that – if they did, fire all of your financial advisors. If they allowed you to put your entire $650 million net worth into – FTX. I know future favors the bold or whatever that Matt Damon thing was, but no, or no, wait, fortune favors the bold. Something favors bold, but don't be that bold. There's a, there's a fine line between being bold and being stupid. 
And I think that also comes in as part of uh, fantasy football. So, you know, I never, this, is I, all, this is all relevant. I never even really had a take on the crypto stuff, like the entire time it was going on. When I get done with work, I usually watch more football videos or listen to MMA podcasts. So I would love to hear you and uh, Josh Hermsmeyer just go off on some of this, Kevin. Could be my only take. My only take was similar to Adam Levitan had a take where he was talking about like people talking about the community. Like every day they were waking up and like this great community that we're building a community. Yeah. I mean, the minute the thing starts going down, everyone's (laughs) at each other's throat. Okay, (laughs) it's every man for himself. So that that would be my only that would be my only thing uh, uh but yeah Hermsmeyer is a little too many victory laps for my for my liking when people are actually probably hurting out there but he earned it i guess and with that let's get into our regularly scheduled programming as always and go through each and every team in the afc and if you like it guess what we'll be right back with an nfc one we have switched up the publishing just a little bit going on afc on wednesday and nfc will be out thursday morning so keep an eye out for that but with that let's get going with the afc east First place, Miami Dolphins, seven and three. They have a buy, so we will talk about Tua and company more in week 12. And second place, your six and three, New York Jets. Coming off a bye, we didn't get a chance to talk about what was Zach Wilson's best game of the season, and that went over the Buffalo Bills. Now, I get it. Zach Wilson's best game only has 154 passing yards. I don't think, you know, the highlight reel is going to be longer than 30, 40 seconds out there. But, hey, the man completed over 70% of his passes for the first time this season. Just one turnover. He's a winner, Kevin. Zach Wilson, just a winner. Seriously, though, like going this week into New England, Patriots favored by three, game total at just 38 and a half. Have you seen anything from Zach Wilson in these first six, seven games to make you think that he really can be a long-term answer under center? Because credit to the Jets being six and three, despite, again, having erratic quarterback play, even going back to the first three weeks with Joe Flacco. But awful lot of weapons on this offense, even with Corey Davis banged up, even with Elijah Moore in and out of the doghouse. It is still concerning to me that the only time to be fair uh we've seen zach put up anything close to relevant counting numbers was against his patriots defense but a lot of that was you know trailing game script and stuff so overall thoughts on if zach wilson is the jets quarterback of the present and future well, I mean, he is the quarterback of the present, so I feel I feel pretty solid about that. I don't think no matter what happens, they'll make some sort of move in an effort to, you know, m- make it into the playoffs this year. You mentioned he had a good game last time, but again, it's one of these things where you look at, it, you say, twenty five pass attempts, six point two yards per attempt. You know, you, yeah. you do some <laughs> some multiplication there. It's not a lot. It's not a lot to go around to the different receivers. So I think uh fruitful for fantasy wise maybe not so so much uh when they play the patriots again now we'll see if perhaps there's a game script sort of situation you can get ahead of but the patriots have had a really good pass defense at least efficiency against pass defense so far this season now next year i don't know how relevant to the people that is in week 11 right now but i would not be surprised if names like jimmy garoppolo who of course played with uh mike lafleur the offensive coordinator and you know was also with um Robert Sala in San Francisco, if he's someone who becomes available, they can look at Derek Carr is someone, but that would require a trade and maybe a little bit more work to look at. But I do think when you look at a team that has this good of a defense, they invested this much in the offensive line. They invested this much in the backfield and in the wide receiver core. It's going to be very attractive to them to potentially look for at least someone who can seriously compete with Zach Wilson next season. 
unfortunately, due to some of those counting number of issues that Kevin brought up there in the passing game. The only guy we can really get behind in fantasy this week is Garrett Wilson. Coming off a six-catch, 115-yard performance against this very defense, eight catches, 92 yards before the bye. Dude's been great. Ball in his hands. I saw, uh, you know, Jetpack Galileo, who I think is a fantastic Twitter follower, talking about how, uh, you know, Garrett, he got a reverse, and he was doing the, uh, oh, my gosh, the ultimate, like, ninja warrior thing where they got to basically run over a uh, body of water. Like, again, the guy's twitchy. I'm not exactly sure if he even knows what he's going to do next sometimes, but you see it, man. Two yards per outrun versus zone, 2.10 versus man. Like Whatever defense they're trying to do, if he can get an accurate pass out there, good things are going to happen. Just remember, before those two good games, four straight games with 41 or fewer scoreless yards. So I have Garrett as a solid wide receiver. Three is my 28th-ranked player at the position. I would start him ahead of guys like Thielen, Allen Robinson, Mooney. I think there's a really good question between Garrett Wilson, Christian Watson, and George Pickens. Who would you take out of that group for this week, Kevin? Watson, Wilson, or Pickens? Uh, I mean, I would take Wilson. I would take him out of those. Um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about uh, Watson. You know, he obviously had the touchdowns last week. There's opportunity there. But we'll get into those guys. But, yeah, I would take him right now, if only because the rest of the receivers, they have names there. Corey Davis, I think, may be back, so that could complicate yeah. things a little bit. But we're talking about Denzel Mims playing 86% of snaps last week. Elijah Moore seems like a part-time player. I don't know what's going to happen with him going forward. So Garrett Wilson, strangely, as a rookie in a somewhat deep receiver core, has really established himself as the guy. So I'm more confident in his rank ordering amongst receiving options than those other guys. How dare you for leaving out Jeff Smith? But we also got to worry about Braxton Berrios in the slot. My spreadsheet is only so long. Okay? <laughs> like I, I don't want it to take up two screens. One screen is enough. We uh, we did get word over the bye that, oh, they're going to move Elijah Moore into the slot. Again, does that mean he's going to be the starting slot receiver? We don't know at this point. So if you have a Braxton super. Berrios. We need Berrios out there. So, yeah. Berrios, Zach Wilson's BFF in real life, apparently. So, yeah, for now, Garrett Wilson, only man we can trust. His backfield remains not one, not two, but unfortunately, a three-headed muddled mess if you got to pick okay i go michael carter over james robinson but in this matchup not a situation i'm looking to get at all both guys mid-tier rb3s they don't need to be started by any stretch of the imagination tyler conklin is tyler conklin okay third place bills six and three and hey we talked about this last week kevin the turnovers for josh allen have really been the only thing capable of slowing down this offense and they're starting to add up league high 19 turnover worthy plays this turnover worthy play rate is the eighth highest among 39 qb the only quarterbacks this year with more combined interceptions and fumbles, Matt Ryan and Justin Fields. So again, our conclusion last week with this was all just a part of the experience and we're getting far more goods than bads with Josh Allen and company, but pretty damning stat when you do see they have not scored a second half touchdown in three consecutive weeks. So do you think this is just a lull, Kevin? Because we did see a very similar three or four game stretch out of this passing game and Josh Allen specifically last season. I'm not worried, but should we be worried? I don't think so. I mean, I think it was worse for stretches last season. I mean, even when you look at Allen and you see, you know, the fantasy scoring, it's still there. The rushing (laughs) is still there. Whether that's because he actually felt a lot better and his elbow is fine or if he literally does not know how to play without putting his body in harm's way. Like, he just does not know how to slide. He sees a defender who is smaller than him, which is pretty much anybody on the defense, and wants to run them over. So I guess it could be a positive or a negative uh, from a fantasy perspective if you're scared he might be out for the season. But as long as he's playing, he's almost like a locked-in top three option every single week as far as what he's going to produce. I mean, you're putting him at the top of your rankings most of the times, but he's almost going to give you automatically uh, first, second, or third type of production. Yeah, was it that – 
Packers game a couple weeks ago. He takes that big hit at the goal line, just pops up and starts screaming. I love it at the defender. It's like quarterbacks aren't supposed to be wired this yeah. way, but my goodness, it is fun to watch Josh Allen go out there and do his thing. But Kevin's points about Kevin's point about the fantasy points is what's uh, really funny to me because again, really for him, relatively a bad stretch for Josh Allen's expectations. It's been a bad stretch. Fancy finishes, QB 11, QB 3, and QB 3. So it's funny. Like in the offseason, Dwayne McFarlane and I were talking about like what even is like a floor scenario for Josh Allen and I like top five fantasy QB. It's it's amazing what this guy can do, even when the offense isn't running as well as we would like. That said, Kevin, very interesting game here. It's in Buffalo against the Browns. Bills favored by eight and a half. But that game total is at 43 and dropping because 30 plus inches of snow in the forecast for the Buffalo area. Feet of snow, not a foot, feet of snow coming out here. So we'll see. This is early week forecast. You know, it could feasibly snow up until Saturday, and then they clear the field off and everything is fine. Like looking at the actual game day weather, it doesn't seem particularly egregious. But I don't know, Kevin. I'm not a meteorologist. I do tune into what Kevin Roth has to say at Roto Grinders every week. He has not updated his stuff yet. But if we get multiple feet of snow, Kevin, uh, again, not a meteorologist here. Doesn't seem very good for the passing game. Is that fair? No, does not seem good for the passing game. I think what's interesting, though, about the uh, the Bills and with Josh Allen is, remember the apocalypse, weather apocalypse game against the Patriots, which, yeah, they only scored 10 points, this and that. Do you know how many pass attempts Josh uh, Allen had in that game? He kept slinging it 30 plus. 30 pass attempts, which, you know, it's not a ton, right? But still, he had 30 pass attempts in that game. And I've seen, you know, there's this argument whenever you have a great quarterback that like, oh, I wish we'd had a dome. Maybe they should build a dome in Buffalo with their new stadium layout, which they're not doing and everything else. Yeah, it's not great. Like, ideally for Josh Allen's maybe historical stats or year-long stats, a dome would be great. But the competitive advantage it has for you to have a quarterback like that where he can throw the ball 30 times a game, complete half of his passes, be somewhat credible, and then Mac Jones had three pass attempts in that game. And minus a really long run, there was basically no chance that the Patriots are going to win that game. That's such a strategic advantage where there's hope. There's always hope with the Bills, no matter what the weather is, that he can sling it because he can do it in in almost pretty much any circumstances. So, yeah, Josh Allen better than almost any quarterback in the league. Maybe Patrick Mahomes. We've had this argument before in a dome. But, yeah, I'd say the difference between him and every other quarterback, probably even wider when you add inclement yes, weather exactly. to it. It's like a bigger know. competitive advantage in that circumstance. So I think Bills fans should be happy about the fact that you're you're, you're staying outdoors. So keep a slight eye on this, but Stefan Diggs, I mean, I just really have a hard time believing we could put him on the bench no matter what. They're still going to throw him screens and stuff. Gabriel Davis, I think it's someone that if you want to drop him a little bit and you have a close decision, that's fine. But start your studs, and Stefan Diggs is a stud. Devin Singletary continuing to get that pretty lofty workload. I do think he continues to warrant low-end RB2 treatment. Coming off first two rushing touchdowns of the year, got to love that. And also, how about Duke Johnson, Kevin, second most all-purpose yards of any running back last week. Only Jonathan Taylor had more. Yeah, kick returns count as part of the game. I'm going to honor that, Duke Johnson. Don't forget the U's all-time leading rusher. Finally, we got the five and four last place New England Patriots. Um, Kevin, when did Mac Jones become really bad? Because he has been really this entire season. And I know we saw the Ravens game. He started to get some stuff coming. Then he got hurt. And let's face it, not exactly the league's best group of weapons across here. But these weapons also aren't really different than last year. As much as we can just sit here and blame Matt Patricia, because that was kind of the fun thing to do in the first few weeks of the year. 
pretty, pretty damning at this point. 38th among 39 quarterbacks in PFF passing grade. Only Taylor Heineke is worse. 36 in passer rating. 23rd yards per attempt. 26 in adjusted completion rate. This week, they're facing off against Sauce Gardner and the New York Jets at home. Three-point favorites, but a lowly 38.5-point game total. Do you see his passing game getting better, Kevin? Because as much as I kind of laughed off the Bailey Zappi, Mac Jones, you know, competition thing, Bailey Zappi has objectively been a lot better than Mac Jones this year. You can say he's been, you know, asked to do less. I know Mac has a higher average target depth and stuff, but man, what the hell is going on with Mac Jones? Yeah, I don't know because it's interesting. Pre-buy, of course, he had the injury, so he missed, you know, a game and a half there before they went to the buy. But pre-buy, I thought he'd been playing a lot better than what his numbers indicated. He had some weird games like the Baltimore game. He made some throws. He was getting the ball down the field to Devontae Parker, but he also had some bad interceptions where you figured, oh, he'll probably clean up that sort of stuff. Now, post by, it's been awful. I mean, obviously, he barely played in the first game where they mostly played Bailey Zappi in that one. And the two games after that, it's been bad without really anything you can point to to say that it's been good. The defense has just been carrying this team and then to a lesser degree but also to a decent degree the running game obviously with Stevenson and then Harris mixing in there um I don't know I mean I looked at historically quarterbacks who had a great first year and then trailed off in their second year versus those who had a bad first year and a good second year and then you know bad bad which would be more like the the Zach Wilson type of Zach, hey, Zach Wilson hey, situation hey. sorry um and the bad, bad is pretty much death other than maybe Josh Allen, who was still improving in his second season a, a pretty good amount. The good and then bad is not great. Like, that's like the, the Mac Jones category. You have some chance Dak and some other guys fell a little bit in their second season and then move forward. So there is some chance for them, but it's still better to be in the bad, good category and improving into your second year. And, of course, good, good. You know, that that's, that's where you'd ideally want to be there. So I think there is some hope for Mac Jones. The problem is it's just been worse than – it's been worse now than it was earlier this season. Maybe the rumblings – maybe the pressure, maybe everything else that's going on with this franchise. Uh, nothing seems to be getting better or getting on the same page with Patricia and whoever's running the offense there. And they are coming off their bye. So all Kevin meant was post-injury Mac Jones coming right, back. Right, sorry, post-injury yeah, Mac you're Jones. You're good. Yeah. He's had these three games where they have been terrible. Hasn't even gotten the 200 passing yards. I mean, was horrific against the Bears before they brought Bailey Zappian. Hasn't even been able to average 5.6 yards per attempt against the Jets or the Colts. So maybe the bye is what he needed. He was coming back from an injury. We will see. But so far, not so good for year two of the Mac Jones experience. And with that, we really only have two fancy relevant players in this offense. Jacoby Myers tied with Mike Evans and Mike Williams as the wide receiver 15 in PPR points per game. Hey, I just think, again, Kevin, like we have this idea in our minds of upside in full PPR being this guy that can catch an 80-yard touchdown or go win a contested catch deep downfield in coverage. And those are great things, but objectively, we'll take the guy catching eight passes for 100 yards versus the guy catching four passes for 100 yards. So I get it, Jacoby, not your, you know, not your granddad's wide receiver one type of player out here, but those points count the same. We don't care about the style in fantasy land, and Mac Jones specifically has been feeding Jacoby Myers. So not worried about the Sauce Gardner matchup. You know, he has moved around a little bit from sideline to sideline, but very rarely, if at all, has he actually gone into the slot this season. So Jacoby Myers weekly finishes wide receiver 46 
18, 8, 39, 35, 10, and 32. Want to call him a wide receiver three, that's fine, but he is certainly someone you can fire up in your starting lineups with confidence. And the same thing obviously goes for Ramondre Stevenson, but I'm not sure people just understand how fantasy-friendly of a role he has right now. In terms of expected PPR points per game, only guys with more, Mixon, Eckler, Barkley, McCaffrey, Kamara, and Derrick Henry. That's it. So yeah, maybe Damian Harris is going to take 10 to 12 carries in his own right, but as long as Stevenson keeps that pass down work, which there's no real reason to believe he won't have it. I mean, at this point, even if Ty Montgomery comes back, I don't know how you take Stevenson off the field there. Only Christian McCaffrey has a higher PFF receiving grade. I know Bill Belichick doesn't look at PFF receiving grades, but those grades come from the sort of things that Bill and every other coach are trying to look at and evaluate in their own right. So one of only nine running backs averaging at least seven PPR points per game from purely receiving production. He was the RB10 against the Jets when they faced off in week eight. Jacoby, Ramondre, that's it. We're good, Kevin. That's it. We are we are good. Yeah, a neutered passing game can be very fruitful for running backs sometimes. Absolutely. Taking us to the first place, Baltimore Ravens, six and three atop the AFC North. This week, they're home versus the Panthers. Twelve and a half point favorites against Baker Mayfield and company. Game total out of lowly 43 and a half. So I guess the question here, Kevin, is like, are we getting the best version of Lamar Jackson back. We saw it in the first three weeks of the year. We really haven't seen it over an extended stretch since 2019 in between, you know, these three to five week, you know, sprints at certain times, which, hey, he was one of the best fantasy quarterbacks we've ever seen, if not the best fantasy quarterback we've ever seen in 2019. So he can still be 90% of that guy and someone that we're incredibly happy to have on our fantasy lineup. That said, hasn't finished better than the fantasy QB 10 since week three. I mean, he only has one game with 250 plus passing yards this season. He had 10 passing touchdowns in weeks one through three and six games since he only has six. So we're getting the rushing, and again, it's he's his best QB, his best finishes as QB ten, but it's not like he's finishing, you know, outside the top twenty. The floor remains high, but Kevin, without Rashad Bateman, with a banged up Mark Andrews, no J.K. Dobbins to maybe take some pressure off him in the run game. Do you think Lamar is getting back to weekly top three status, or are we just looking at more of a low end QB one at least for the rest of twenty twenty two? Yeah, I'm not going to go low-end QB1 because I think even if it's like low-end Lamar Jackson, we're not going that low. It's probably just more of someone who you can project to finish somewhere between three and six maybe as far as a quarterback is concerned and not really vying for potentially being the first or second overall quarterback. I mean, he was there, right, the first handful of weeks with the long plays. And it wasn't just the long running plays. He was also making longer splash plays down the field to guys like Devin DuVernay to Rashad Bateman, who's no longer there. When those dry up, you know, you don't have those pass catchers. It doesn't work so well. And from the Baltimore Ravens' perspective, the defense is playing better. And you never thought we'd be saying this necessarily, but Kenyon Drake is coming to play. And so is that running game right now where they can use those guys a little bit more and aren't requiring Lamar Jackson to do to do everything, which is good for the Baltimore offense generally, but may not be good for Lamar Jackson from a fantasy perspective. Speaking of that running game, it does seem like Gus Edwards should be back out there. John Harbaugh said, quote unquote, the plan is for Gus to return. And then speaking earlier this week, uh, he was actually talking about Mark Andrews. He said, I think he's doing good. You talked to Mark Andrews and he sounds very positive about it. Trainers as well. We'll see how it progresses throughout the week. It'll be the same answer for Gus Edwards and Deshaun. They all have a real good chance. Yes, D-Jax, once again, dealing with a hamstring injury. Everyone got their jokes off on Twitter. When that I happened. know. Leave the poor guy alone. Leave the poor guy alone. Come on, guys. He is a legend at this point. 
All right, with Gus Edwards, though, if he comes back, we'll expect him to be the lead guy over Drake. But that said, man, I don't think Justice Hill is going to completely leave the picture. And it's just a situation where I think we've seen Greg Roman's philosophy more than enough over the years to know he's going to keep three running backs involved. So if Gus does return, then I think he's going to be a solid enough borderline RB2. But none of these guys are catching passes. And I think each of them are going to have a very hard time touching 20 carries when all these dudes are active. So Dobbins not expected to be there. Um, actually noted during the bye uh, that he did not get re-injured. He didn't hurt himself or anything. He just didn't feel like himself. So that's kind of good, I guess, that he didn't get re-injured. That said, I don't love that he still hasn't exactly felt enough like himself to get back out there on the field. So right now, Kevin, if Edwards is out, I have Kenyon Drake as my RB24. If Edwards comes back in, I might just cross out Drake's name and put him there and have Drake maybe five spots below. That about how you're feeling about this backfield? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's for me, it's a little bit closer to a coin flip between the two of them, which means also that the floor is probably lower on Edwards for me than it would be for you. I think there is some scenario where he comes back and if Kenyon Drake looks hot and they decide to go hot handedness and Edwards is not going to be involved in the passing game that much, right, that he could give you a really low floor outcome. So I would be a little bit wait and see because of the fact that see if Drake really carved out a role or whether they're willing to just turn it back to the guy who's been more reliable for a longer period of time, who is Gus Edwards. Would you rather start Gus or Drake versus the Falcons? I'm sorry, versus the Panthers or Brian Robinson or Antonio Gibson versus the Texans? Uh, I think Gibson, I would rather, I'd probably put above, above those sure. other guys right now that he's carved out, but yeah, I mean, he, he's, he, he feels like he has the most solid sort of role defined for me. I have them all very close, but I think that's a fair take. So yes, in fantasy Lamar, we got the running backs. We have Isaiah likely potentially if Andrews isn't able to come back, obviously if Andrews is back, we're not going to have to worry about that. But if it is going to be likely again, only one catch, you know, in week nine, but Hey, in fantasy with those tight ends, the one catch went for a touchdown. And with that, we had a tight end one finish. Gotta love how that works out remains a top eight. I would even say top six tight end out the position. If Andrews remains sideline. And then we have Devin Duvernay who, okay, I get it. Bateman's out of the picture, but Bateman's been out of the picture here for about a month, uh, actually over a month. So if you look at Duvernay in his last four games, three finishes outside the top six, he only had the PPR wide receiver 19 game in week eight. And again, that was only one game with Bateman in the picture. So Duvernay, good player. But again, this passing game, there's just not much meat on the bone. I don't think, you know, ranking him more than a low end wide receiver three is all that warranted at the moment. Second place, five and four, Cincinnati Bengals this week in Pittsburgh, five-point fit road favorites. Game total resting at a lowly 41. So, hey, only a four-game sample size here. But Joe Burrow actually has not been all that great against the Steelers over the years. Starts off just 213 yards with a touchdown. Next game, 172 yards, three touchdowns, one pick, 190 yards, one touchdown, one pick. And earlier this year in week one, had the four interceptions performance, but he dig it up to 338 passing yards and two touchdowns. So, no Minka Fitzpatrick. T.J. Watt is back. Are you really worried about this matchup, Kevin? Because to be fair, we did see this Bengals offense look pretty terrible against the Browns before the bye. I'm not saying that was necessarily only because Jamar Chase was out of the picture. But at a minimum, you take Chase off the field and you kind of are taking away this offense's fastball. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, even though they had the big game, the Joe Mixon game, uh, right. <laughs> next week after that, um, it was an okay performance from Burrow, but not a great performance. So we haven't had a real stud sort of performance for Burrow yet without Chase there. We'll see if we get that. I mean, I'm okay still with this offense. I think the Steelers defense is good, although maybe 
not necessarily a stay away type of uh, defense at this point. You mentioned Fitzpatrick is out. Um, you can still score against Pittsburgh. We've seen some teams do it. So I think you're you're firing everyone up, but you're not really expecting the high-end outcomes necessarily from anyone in the squad. Pretty straightforward uh, fantasy situation here. Obviously, you're starting Joe Mixon, even if there is a fire coming off quite the performance there. And yeah, targets without Jamar Chase in weeks eight through nine. T. Higgins leading the way with 13. Mixon there at 12. Boyd 11. Hurst at nine. So Hayden Hurst, hopefully a little bit more healthy coming off that bye. I do think he warns 10 and one treatment. And then T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd continue to start them in lineups of all shapes and sizes as long as Chase remains sideline. Third place, Cleveland Browns sitting there at three and six. Again, they're in Buffalo in the snow game this week. Eight and a half point dogs game total at 43. So Jacoby Brissett has been struggling a bit more lately than usual. And we have seen that really flare up when he's been throwing downfield. Just 29th in PFF passing grade, 27th in passer rating, 23rd in adjusted completion rate when throwing 20 plus yards downfield. But Kevin Okay, that's a small part of Jacoby's game. He's not a top 10 quarterback of everything. I think we've all known that. What is a top 10 unit is this Browns scoring offense. And if you would have told Browns fans that before the season started, I'm sure they would have taken that 10 times out of 10 without Watson even in the picture. The problem is a 31st ranked scoring defense here. So what's going on here? Set, same in EPA per play. I mean, this is a bottom two defense in the league right now. And you can talk about the competition they faced and whatnot. You know, Miles Garrett obviously having his off the field injury, maybe not coming back and being quite the same monster. Denzel Ward missed, you know, a good chunk of action with that concussion. So I get it. They haven't had all their blue chip guys out there, but this is a team where, you know, Watson said himself when he chose them, you know, one of the better overall rosters, I think objectively when looking around the league, is this defense just a bad nine-game sample size, or is this going to be an issue where even once Deshaun Watson comes back in, it's going to keep them out of these games? Because, again, the Browns sitting at three and six, and I would argue they could be much closer to five and four, not even if Jacoby was better, but this defense had just been a little bit better throughout the early parts of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a bad it's just a bad defense. Last year, they were the type of defense that was good – on a success rate sort of standpoint, but we're really, really bad on third down, a lot of blown coverages and big plays that played out a little bit earlier this year, but still, if you just look at them overall and what they've done, um, you know, outside of the Cincinnati game, right. Where they, where they came back a little bit there. um, They just have still been either just, they've been kind of worse fundamentally from a success rate standpoint and still giving up big plays. A uh, perfect example of the big play type of offense is when they played against the Patriots. The Patriots offense didn't do a whole lot other than 30-something yard, third and 10 touchdowns from Ramondre Stevenson. So it's kind of the worst of both worlds for this defense. So, no, I don't think it's coming together. They have a lot of young talent, a lot of guys that they've drafted over the last several years, but they can't stop anyone rushing. Um, so that will be an interesting matchup when we're talking about the Bills and whether they'll throw it all the time. I mean, I think we know the Browns are going to run it consistently. Their best chance to get explosive plays is probably through the run versus the pass. Uh, what will be more interesting is like, on the defensive side, whether the Bills decide to lean in against the run or if they say, you know what, we have Josh Allen, we have Stephon Diggs, we're still going to pass it all the time on the Browns offense. Look, it's Nick Chubb really at this point. He's the one guy in this game we can, of course, really get behind. Maybe, just maybe, they'll finally give him that true workhorse workload, but that hasn't been on the plate this year. It's really never been on the plate, and that's why fantasy analysts like myself, I can't quite speak for Kevin, but I'm hey, sure he did Season high, four targets last week, so. But that's what we're working <laughs> with here. So when everyone's like, how do you people keep, you know, fading this guy year after year? It's because you're fading the idea that he's going to continue to work ahead and just be the clear-cut best running back 
in football because he's not getting the workload that says that he's going to be that or says that he is that guy. So, hey, guess what? King State Kings and Nick Chubb is obviously a freaking king at this point. But when you look at it, expected PPR points versus real in 2020, he was the RB 28 in expected PPR points per game, RB nine in real life. 2021, his, um, his usage makes Derrick Henry look like Christian McCaffrey. Okay, right? that's, that, that's that's what you that's what I would say. Sixteen targets this season. He's the RB fifteen in expected PPR points this season, but. Again, he's a king, so RB3 in real. So he's a badass. He keeps he keeps it going. Regression doesn't matter when we're talking about someone with thighs as big as Nick as Nick Chubb, I guess. I mean, you know, I guess we can just look at that track picture from high school. The dude can jump, you know, six feet in the well, air. Even when they were down big, they were still running. And, and Nick Chubb ripped off a, I don't know, what was it, like a 35, 40-yard touchdown or so something sick. like that last week. So it was ridiculous. He just accelerated through that spin move like nobody I've ever seen do that. So we got Nick yeah, Chubb. Body's just bouncing off of him, dude. It's just, just – just like a like a boulder rolling down the hill, basically. Now, here's the thing. Over the same stretch, guess what? Those workload problems also applied to Kareem Hunt. He was someone that was consistently outperforming his expected workload. Not anymore, and it really has been bad, man. PFF rushing grade, 42nd among 50 qualified running backs. Yards per carry is 42nd. Even in yards after contact, a carry missed tackles forced, just 29th and 27th. I mean, last year, we were, like, making jokes about where they're putting in the Browns running back room Gatorade cooler because we had Chubb, Hunt, and De- Ernest Johnson consistently in the top 10 in all these metrics. So is Kareem Hunt just washed at this point, Kevin? I mean, again, it's one of those tough things where this is a situation actually unlike the Pollard Zeke thing where you would almost expect Hunt to be getting some of the more yards per carry friendly, you know, maybe outside zone stretches, just stuff like that, you know, more of the scat back type touches over Nick Chubb. But Hey, that has not been the case at all. And Nick Chubb has been far more efficient in an offense that we've seen Hunt also be rather great in. With Kareem Hunt, I don't think you can start him in fantasy right now, especially not. And I'm not all that confident it's going to get better, even when someone like Watson gets back in the picture. Yeah, I mean, it's it's bad. It's bad not only like you talk about efficiency and washedness as far as that's concerned. Um, we talked about Nick Chubb, how disgusting his 16 targets are. Uh, 13, uh, 23 targets for, for Kareem uh. Hunt this season. That's really bad. And that just takes everything away. It is funny, though, because I remember – Multiple years ago, I was going with a hot take. I went too hot, okay, because I said Nick Chubb could be uh, – this was Kevin Stefanski's first year. So it goes two years ago. Nick Chubb could be the number one overall fantasy running back. I should have gone with Derrick Henry instead, but I decided to lean into that. And there was a legit discussion we had uh, talking to some other PFFers at the time. It was like, is he even the best running back on the team? Was Because Kareem Hunt was seen as being so good at that point in time and everything he could do. So, yeah, it's been quite a fall for him over the last couple of seasons. Quickly with the receivers. Once again, if we find out there's going to be two feet of snow on the field come Sunday, yeah, you're probably not going to be wanting to play any pass catcher other than Stefan Diggs in this game. But Amari Cooper, you can look at those. Kevin, do you have any answer for the Amari Cooper home away splits? I mean, I no. tend to think it's just random. I mean, yeah, it's not- it's, it's, it is. I remember there used to be an AJ Green road <laughs> better than home splits. Now that really makes no sense, right? So certain certain splits, if you split up anything, you will find something. Basically, you'll you'll eventually find something. So there has to be like a logical through line to go with it. I mean, away versus home is a little bit better. But then again, like, why would that be the case? Does the man not, does the man need to bring his pillow with him when he goes, maybe he needs one of those special like foam pillows that forms around your head or something when he's on the road. Other than that, there's no logical explanation. So therefore I dismiss it. Especially now for it to be persisting in Cleveland, where like we're not going from a dome to like these outdoor games or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. So no, I think it's 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 noise. It's noise. And even big samples, even when you're just splitting something 50-50, sometimes there could be noise in it. 
Only other note, shout out Donovan Peoples-Jones, 50-plus yards in six straight games, 70-plus yards in five of last six. Again, the weather is the only thing really holding him back from being locked in more so as a wide receiver three. But yeah, if he's on those waiver wires, all of a sudden working as Watson's downfield option where we don't have to deal with such erraticness potentially on those deep balls I mentioned with Jacoby could be a sign of some big games to come for DPJ. Last place, three and six Pittsburgh Steelers this week at home against the Bengals. Five-point home dogs, game total resting at a lowly 41. So Kenny Pickett, I I did a cool little study, Kevin. Uh, This one thing always stuck out to me from my old boss man, uh, Jonathan Bales, and he said that someone like Lamar Jackson was still underrated because when he scrambles, it's essentially a completed pass, and we just don't even put that into a lot of the uh, you know discourse around some of their efficiency stuff. So I went ahead and I did total yards per drop back, including scrambles and including sacks into the total yardage. So top five quarterbacks in this. Tua, number one at 8.5, and you go all the way down to Josh Allen at 7.6. Then you got Mahomes, and you got your guy Jimmy G, and then you got Jalen Hurts as a top five. Dead freaking last, though, is Kenny Pickett. So on the one hand, I've talked about how terrible his opening schedule stretch was. I won't list it off again. You guys have heard me say it a million times at this point. Comes in last week. Finally, a good matchup against a banged-up Saints defense that wasn't even all that great against the past before uh, they got it, before they had some of these injuries to so Lattimore and Marcus May and others. Didn't really get it going. And just watching the film, man, not to not to try to sound like I'm better than all you guys, but my God, you put on the all 22 and like Deontay Johnson and George Pickens, these guys are open all game long and you're seeing them make the most out of their opportunities. They just weren't always getting them. So more near misses for Deontay. He had a nice double move for a potential touchdown overthrown. He gets open on a slant corner, falls down. Nobody in the middle of the field. Pickett just threw it a little bit too wide. Again, we've seen George Pickens flashing all season long. So I guess the question is like, At what point can we separate Kenny Pickett's performance from being like, hey, really tough schedule, he's just getting going, versus maybe he's just not a good quarterback? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of both here. I think from his perspective or from a rookie quarterback perspective, I know he's like 32 years old or whatever. No, I'm just kidding. He's like 25 or something like that. So he's not the youngest dude, but he's still a rookie quarterback and he's been put in there. The fact that they cannot run the ball at all – has put him in some spots here. We're talking about the number of dropbacks that he's taken. Think about like like the Marcus Mariota offense, or even Trevor Lawrence has not been dropping back that much recently, or Justin Fields, or these these sorts of guys. I mean, Kenny Pickett in his four, well, his five like real starts, he had fifty six dropbacks, uh, twenty one. So that that's that's low there. Uh, 49, 49, 40. So he's dropping back a lot to pass, and it's tough to do. It's tough to be efficient for a rookie in those circumstances you like to see a little bit more than what we're getting there you'd like to see him go over 200 yards more than twice with all those dropbacks that we're that we're talking about here so that is definitely bad but I do think there is some context where he's getting particularly poor situational dropbacks in as part of this mix because it's just way too many they ideally do not want to be dropping a back this many times how come we ripped the Bears time and time again? And I think deservedly so for entering last season with Andy Dalton as the one and not bringing Fields in until week three or whatever, and then just kind of throwing them into the fire. I mean, that's exactly what the Steelers did this year, going with Mitch Trubisky to start, and then they throw Pickett in at halftime. Is that just a matter of Tomlin's been here so successful for so long that we'll give him a break? I mean, I don't see a difference in those situations. Yeah, I think it's one of these things where directionally – Teams look and they say, when we want to make this move from the veteran to the rookie, we don't want to go back, right? We want to make the transition and be done. So we're going to allow the veteran to play himself 
kind of out of the job or be comfortable enough with what we're seeing in practice from the rookie in the season to play himself into the job and then not look back. Whereas if you put the rookie out there at week one and it's a total complete disaster while you're still holding out some hope of making the playoffs, right? Like I think this was a team that probably had an implied probability of like 20% to make the playoffs as of week one. Uh, You can only take that for a week or two before then you have to turn to Trubisky and then where you left, right? Week three, week four, week five. Then you're going back to pick it after having pulled them out. It could be somewhat of a disaster. So I get that logic a little bit, although I'm with you though. I would have just rolled with Pickett from the very beginning. And if he struggles, he struggles. I would have just kept on riding him and just say, hey, we're probably not going to make the playoffs this year anyway. In terms of fancy land, I do think Pickett, again, with Kyler Murray injured with, uh, you know, just, again, a lot of these bye weeks going on, sneakily has been running a good amount. They're not afraid to use him on QB sneaks uh, at the goal line. I do think better days are going to be had. So I think Pickett versus guys like Taylor Heineke um, and stuff, when you start looking at the nitty-gritty, could potentially be, you know, closer to that, uh, you know, QB 28 mark than, I'm sorry, closer to QB 20 mark than the QB 28. Are you feeling good about Pickett out there? Absolutely not. But again, beggars can't be choosers here on some of these bye weeks uh, at wide receiver Deontay Johnson and George Pickens just can't get them over the wide receiver three spot at this point we're gonna find out if regression is real with Deontay Johnson one of these days Kevin 81 targets without a touchdown this season nobody in the NFL has more at this point so we talked enough about the passing game but maybe they could get going against this Bengals defense I don't want to call a secondary fraudulent Kevin, but man, you take away Chidobia Wuzier, who's been out now for a couple of weeks. And I was just looking at the quarterbacks they faced it and that they've faced this year. Trubisky, Cooper Rush, Joe Flacco, Tua slash Teddy, Lamar, Andy Dalton, Marcus Mariota, Jacoby Brissett, who roasted them, and then PJ Walker. So when I see, you know, top six and PPR points per game allowed to wide receivers, I'm not overly scared of this matchup. Cold, but not windy and rainy in Cincy this Sunday. So feeling fine about the passing game. What do you make of the Jalen Warren coming up and really getting a nice usage bump out of the bye? Initially, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't a situation where Najee actually had a very nice run, lowered his shoulder, and got a little bit banged up. He left the rest of that drive, which was only like three more plays, but then he came right back out for the next drive. So seeing this go down to 60-40, and now we get the news that Najee is banged up with a knee injury, could be limited. I mean, I don't feel confident enough to exactly put Warren as like this recommended start at this point, but continues to be one of the best handcuffs. And with this Najee knee injury coming again, Kevin, I know I talked about this in like week three or four. I don't think it's impossible that they shut down Najee at some point if this team, again, has absolutely no chance of winning. And then all of a sudden, Jalen Warren could turn out to be 2022's version of what Rashad Penny was last year. Um. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's possible. I just I just don't think they're going to shut them down. I mean, I'm looking at Pittsburgh right now. According to our power rankings, we have them with a 7% chance to make the playoffs. To me, it seems like with the history of this franchise, with Mike Tomlin, everything else there, that number probably has to get to zero before they actually think about shutting someone down, and that'll take at least a couple more weeks. And by then, you know, we're into the fantasy playoffs and whatnot. So, I mean, it's a possible. It's definitely possible. I think it's probably more going to be like a muddled mess in an offense that doesn't have a lot of upside. So you're not you're not going to be satisfied with either one. I think Warren is still more contingent on a Najee injury or re-injury, but that could happen, right? The chances of re-injury are higher when you have existing injury problems during the season. 
Before we keep on going, I want to give some love to our sponsors. The PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Also, even though best ball mania has ended, underdog fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their pick'em game. Just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game, and you can run up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your pick'em entry. Get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head on over to underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Sign up for promo code PFF, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. Whoa, whoa, Kevin, breaking news. Let let people know. This is a good one here. This is actually related to – tangentially related – to the Steelers here. Um, maybe not important, but it will be important for your future XFL fantasy drafts here because just right now, uh, word came out within the last half an hour that the Vegas Vipers with the number five pick overall in the XFL draft have selected former Steelers wide receiver Martavis Bryant. Whoa! <laughs> so, That's awesome! Let's go! So, you know... Vegas, maybe not the best location. I'm just saying for Martavis Bryant, knowing some of his history with the, you know, you know, and everything else that he's got. Actually, Vegas is not really, it's more like a bunch of other stuff, but um, just so you know, I, I was doing a weed smoking motion for those of listening to the podcast here. This but is, uh, um, Kevin, easy. hey, a, maybe it's available. Smoking. I don't know how the XFL treats these things. I don't know how hey. the XFL treats these things. So we'll see. He's, he's number five, though, overall pick. Martavis Bryant, our Vipers, our Vegas Vipers. This is incredible, man. That touchdown he had against the Cardinals back in the day was like, he was the best wide receiver on the planet for those like 10 seconds. He threw Honey Badger into the arm, into the ground, cuts back across the field. You just run around dudes, right? It's like, I was like, wait a second. Like they had the angle. Like, how did you get from point A to point B? He would have one of those ones. He's a great guy where you take a screenshot. Like this was the defense when he caught the ball and he scored a touchdown on this play. Similarly to how like Jamar Chase had done it running away from some guys last year and this year. This is so awesome, bro. And they had AB Martavis and like rookie Juju out there at the same time. Remember when the Raiders traded like a third round pick for Martavis Bryant? And did he ever play? I don't remember. Did he ever take a snap? I think one or two games at the absolute most. Wow, man. I've been struggling to get too excited for XFL in February. Took a lot out of me, uh, you know, with the USFL this past spring. But Martavis Bryant might be the guy that drags me back into it. Wow. Yeah, we'll have to. Well, part of our offseason work will be dissecting. This particular pickup for for at least one pod dedicated just to Martavis Bryant and how he fits in with the rest of the Vipers scheme and offense and everything else they got going on there. About to say, we'll be going through, you know, free agency stuff and like, ah, here's your weekly Martavis Bryant update. From yeah, the, uh, yeah, we have to keep him. We're like the Skylar Thompson of the, of the offseason. <laughs> Moving on to the AFC South, we have your first place Tennessee Titans sitting there at six and three. And with that, we're going to have our sleeper bounce back player of the week. It's going to be Derrick Henry by the month, guys. He only gets better as the weather gets colder. For his career, 3.94 yards per carry in September, 4.45 in October, November, December, 5.5 each, even has 5.1 in January. So, yeah, it was a dud last week. Every single great player can't be great every single week. This was 
actually the first time since that Bills game in week two that he got held under 115 total yards. So Derrick Henry, bounce back player of the week. Love our friends over there at Sleeper as Kevin continues to dominate our freaking flawed, fabulous fantasy league. That yeah, I, just I mean, I mean teams about. get Kyler Murray's not looking so hot. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what's going on there. I'm, I'm, I'm a little fraudulent. I'm not Vikings fraudulent <laughs> as far as the record is concerned, but my record is a little fraud, fraudulent and I'm getting, I need Marquise Brown and, uh, and uh, Jamar Chase to come back for me. This week, the Titans are in Green Bay. Packers, three-point home favorites. Game total of just 41. So, look, obviously, you guys are starting Derrick Henry no matter what. I think the only other reasonable fantasy note here is Traylon Burks coming back to his usual role last week. Tied a season high with six targets. And, you know, it's impossible not to compare the guy to A.J. Brown because when you trade A.J. Brown and immediately draft Traylon Burks with the pick you got uh, to be your wide receiver one, you know, you tend to kind of get these comps coming. So, I would just say... Traylon Brooks is not A.J. Brown, but we didn't exactly see A.J.B. get to Tennessee and just take over from day one there. I mean, four of his five games with 100-plus yards as a rookie came after week 10. Six of his nine touchdowns came after week 10. So I'm not saying Traylon Brooks is going to even get one of those things here in the next seven weeks, but I wouldn't completely rule him out just because he hasn't done it yet. Still does profile as a number one receiver in an offense that I can no longer say Kevin uh, doesn't have a top 24 PPR wide receiver week. Shout out to Nick Westbrook, uh, Akini, for getting that monkey off their back in week 10. So that's all fine with, with fantasy. Get Traylon Brooks on your bench if you have him. Still not feeling good enough to start him as more than a you know, borderline wide receiver three at best. I will talk a little about Ryan Tannehill, Kevin, who comes back and I think maybe silence some of the Malik Willis haters. But I go ahead on the old Twitter sphere where you know you can always just rely on getting rational, coherent arguments from everyone about certain uh, you know topics. And I just sent out Ryan Tannehill's stats uh, since he joined the Titans in 2019. He's fourth among 54 quarterbacks in PFF passing grade, eighth in passer rating, fifth in yards per attempt, and 12th in adjusted completion rates. I get it. He's not throwing the ball much. So his efficiency should be higher when he's, you know, getting really pick and choose when he's putting it out there. That said, not exactly an offense overflowing with these high-end pass game weapons. And he's done what he needs to do with the resources there. Quit sending me and ask me what his playoff record is. You know, we can do this with every single quarterback out there. I mean, Ryan Tannehill. He's good to really good. Is he someone that's going to be able to drag this offense, you know, the top five passing status? Probably not, but I don't know what quarterback really would with this group of pass catchers. What do you think about Ryan Tannehill's chances of leading this t- competitive t- Titans team to, I guess, further than they have been in the past? Because they continue to get to the playoffs, and we saw the AFC Championship run a few years ago. They just haven't quite been able to overall get uh, uh, to get that last step. So basically, do you think anything is different about this year's uh, overachieving Titans? Uh, I think it's really okay. I, I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but I do think it almost hinges completely on Traylon Burks, honestly, is whether he can become a guy or not. You mentioned Westbrook Kine finally had that. All it took was a 63 yard flea flicker, like wide open touchdown for a, a receiver to finally get there for, for the Titans. That's the type of production they have to derive. Um, because these guys are just not getting open. I mean, I don't know if Woods is washed, but he's, he's at least, you know, He's lightly showered with some some suds <laughs> on him. Okay, I don't, I don't know if he's completely washed or not. Um, so it's just tough for him. And I think Tannehill is one of those guys where because he is limited in the type of things that he does, but he's really, really good. Like he's very, very good at standing in the pocket, which can also lead to fumbling and things like that. He's very, very accurate with throwing the ball down the field. But if you had another 
quarterback who, you know, QB guru types loved a lot more and you gave them this wide receiver core, you gave them this offensive line and this protection, there would be like excuses just flying all over the place the entire time for what's going on for him. But he needs something. He's not going to invent production out of nowhere. He needs to be able to throw it somewhere. And that's when Traylon Burst is going to have to be that guy. Eh, Might be a year early, though. Yeah. Moving on to our second place. Yeah, second place Colts, four, five, and one. Uh, this week they're home against the Eagles. Philly is favored by six and a half. Game total at four. Jeff Saturday, but coach of the year. Yes, no. Coach of the year, apparently. And that is what I wanted to ask you about. The only Kevin. undefeated coach. So. So it is funny. Like, what would the perception be of this if Derek Carr had just, you know, found a way to pick up an extra 16 yards and score that touchdown at the end? Did Fox Road drop like a touchdown or something too? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it would be it would be a little bit different, but, you know. Hey, Jonathan Taylor went out there, had a 60-plus yard touchdown run. We know Jonathan Taylor is capable of doing that. Like, again, was there anything about this performance that, hey, he got the guy's hype. He got a win. So credit to you on that, Jeff Saturday. Well, I don't know. They were able to get Matt Ryan into the game. So I don't know what happened there because during the introductory press conference, he said Sam Ellinger is the guy. Um, So I don't know. If he had some sort of sway or cachet where he could say, uh, you know, First of all, you know, they call these guys Mr. all the time, the owners. It's it's like Mr. Irsay. Do you have to say that all the time? Like, it seems so emasculating for these guys. They have to be like, whatever. The dude has a bunch of money because his dad handed down the team from to him from before. Like, Mr. The guy can't even put together a complete sentence. But anyway, um, like if he had that sort of cachet to be able to put Matt Ryan back in there, I think that's helpful at least because it seemed like uh, Reich had been, uh, speaking of neutered, he had been neutered and so has uh, Ballard as far as their ability to choose which players are going into there. So maybe that's a good thing. Jim Irsay, uh, even Victory lapped uh, the victory on Twitter. Basically, everyone calling him out. It's like, all right, all right man. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Irsay. That, that was like the whole Dan Snyder thing. That you had to call him Mr. Snyder or he wouldn't like answer your questions or something. It's like, ch- chill out, guys. So, hey, Jeff Saturday, you know, had to give up the reins of his fantasy team. Like, who did he give it to? Again? Was it Reggie Wayne? <laughs> I did hear that. I did not even hear this whole he, thing. He had to pass off his uh, fantasy team to someone else when he started, you know. Oh, I want to see it. We should we should, we should, dissect this to see what his, what his abilities are. What his are roster here. was. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Jeff Saturday had to transfer his fantasy football team to Eric Decker. That's who got it after uh, becoming a head coach. Interesting so. connection there. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but okay. We'll take it. But yeah, okay. Jeff Saturday. Maybe they met via Peyton Manning. I think that's the that's the <laughs> attachment. That's the that's the through line there. Reggie Wayne back to throwing up about uh Matt Ryan reminding him of Peyton per sources. So okay. Well, hey, we'll Matt see. Ryan with the wheels though. With the wheels. Should we just we should we just project him for uh, thirty yards rushing now going forward? The good news with all this is that Matt Ryan is back under center, apparently recovered from this, you know, right shoulder injury, just fine, look good out there. The problem is that this isn't Eagles defense yet to allow even 240 passing yards in a game this season. I mean, the, this is the Cardinals got 239. The next highest mark is just 205. So if anything, this is shaping up as a Jonathan Taylor week. I mean, the Eagles are dead last in EPA allowed per run play. We've seen the Texans go for 168 rushing yards. The Commanders, 152, without their run stuff or specialist Jordan Davis in action, uh, not there in the middle. So much better against the pass and the run. Obviously, that's what you want to be in the year 2022. But if Jonathan Taylor is going to get his 20 or 30 carries, we have seen that be enough to take over, you know, some of these games that the Colts really have no business winning over the years. So Jonathan Taylor, yeah, we've always been starting him no matter what. Like this, this is Jonathan Taylor back type of thing. He was hurt and we couldn't play him. I don't think anyone's ever taken this guy out of the top five, God forbid, the top eight, you know, fantasy running backs. It's just 
more wasted conversation where we choose to focus on, you know, just these guys that are starting no matter what. Christian McCaffrey vibes, if you will. So my big takeaway here is that Michael Pittman is back into the mid to low end wide receiver two range with Matt Ryan and Paris Campbell and even Alec Pierce are all of a sudden getting to be more flex viable players. Just not loving the matchup this week. Is that fair, Kevin? Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, maybe I need an apology form, not quite yet, but almost for Paris Campbell. Now that he's actually putting up some targets, nine targets, seven catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown last week. He's had multiple games now where he's had, he's got three games with nine or more targets this season. So he was the wind sprint master earlier this season. I wrote him off. Congrats to him there. And well, we'll see what happens with Deion Jackson and his injury going forward. But when we talk about Jonathan Taylor, maybe this isn't like, necessarily super insightful for anyone but in this role this role for Jonathan Taylor I mean I think he's I would have him ranked above Christian McCaffrey for the rest of season if if he had this type of role I mean this is pretty much the perfect role you could have for an explosive player like Jonathan Taylor to Kevin's point I mean this is legit every down shit now at this point 93 percent snaps 22 carries and two targets he's only hit that 90 percent snap rate in two other times throughout his career so it could be that Deion Jackson comes back from the knee injury and kind of takes that Naeem Hines role but if not I mean Jeff Saturday just going in you know guns blazing Jonathan Taylor you're not leaving the field Matt Ryan you're back in action oh my well no, no matter how much like work Hines ended up getting they obviously love that guy. I mean, they threw a bunch of money at him. They would talk him up constantly. So I do think even if Deion Jackson comes back, he's not going to hold that special place in the heart of Jeff Saturday that Hines held with Frank Reich. Last place, Houston Texans, 1-7-1. and one. This week, they're home against the Washington Commanders. Commanders are favored by 3.5. Game total at just 40.5. So... Fingers crossed. Like, they got Jeff yeah. Saturday. Jeff Saturday is like Edron James. What do we do with Edron James? That's what we're gonna do with uh, Jonathan Taylor. I'm I wouldn't be surprised, quite honestly, if that's just how he thinks about things. So there you go. The new the new the new edge in usage. Go ahead. With our Houston Texans. I mean, the way Lovey Smith has just fawned over, you know, Damian Pierce since week one, I don't think, you know, Benjamin is going to become a thing. Uh, we will see what happens. But at least for this week, not expecting that. Pierce, at least 20 combined carries and targets in seven straight games. He's responded with 100-plus total yards in all but one of those contests. The only problem is this is the 28th-ranked scoring offense. He has only five carries inside the five-yard line all season long, only one touchdown over his last four games. So that's the only issue here. Look, he's going to get 20-plus carries. We're going to start him regardless, but that's why, you know, when you see Damian Pierce ranked as RB12, RB13, it's because of the offensive environment. Again, I cannot name a single good thing this Texans organization has done other than give Damian Pierce the ball a lot, and that stretches back really over the past uh, 24-plus months potentially. So only other note here, I think, is what's going on with the wide receiver room. Brandon Cook's not benched after having, you know, the disagreement, having his captain status stripped out there, comes out last week, would have had a bigger game, had his 16-yard touchdown, not been nullified by a holding call. But you look at this now, seven games together, Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins, targets far, far away in Cooks' favor, 52 to 38. Yards, though, Nico Collins, 354 to 318. Kevin, I remember you mentioning, you know, Nico when he's been banged up over his last few weeks, popping in a few of the studies you were looking at. You care to uh, elaborate? Yeah, well, no, it was just he was starting to be get the higher usage that you wanted. It was kind of like a contingent play on Brandon Cooks if he were to be traded. And while Cooks wasn't traded, clearly something has happened as far as his relative status in that room. The problem, though, and I think you hinted at this at the beginning, and that's what like a rising tide lifts all boats. This is a, a sinking tide, yeah. <laughs> bringing them all onto the shore. 
And this offense, it legitimately bottom three at best in when you're looking at everything. So you're just not going to have enough to go around. And, you know, David Mills, could he have a few good games down the stretch? Sure. But I would just wouldn't expect too much from him. Um, and the Eno Benjamin pickup, because that, that's a that's a waiver transaction, right? So they're near the top of the waiver. Tra- they're like using one of their waiver. Tra- like they this if Texans loved anything the last couple seasons, it's like spending free agent money or waiver transactions on just dudes, just bringing in more and more dudes who aren't really going to do anything. So I, I was a little bit surprised by that, but maybe they think if Pierce goes down, they don't want it to be like the Burkhead and uh, Dare show. It is a joke and how long it's been happening for freaking years at this point, man, just the amount of Jags they're adding. Okay. Yeah. I tweeted this in March. Here's some. So I tweeted this in March, but going back basically two off seasons worth, like here are the guys they have signed like free agent signings. Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, Rex Burkhead, Dario Gumbawale, Danny Amendola, Chris Conley, Alex Erickson, Dante Moncrief, Chris Moore, and Andre Roberts. It's like backups from 2018, 2019 that like we were playing in preseason DFS or something. And look, if those were being complimented by a bunch of like high round picks and a bunch of, you know, other guys that were giving a lot of money, that'd be one thing. But yeah, hey, guess what? They didn't want to win any games this year, and they've only won one. So I guess uh, from that perspective, yeah, good it's job like, um, are you only being offered the veteran minimum? We'll double it. Yeah. That's basically <laughs> what they told all the all these guys. <laughs> That's their sales pitch. So uh, yeah, we'll see. AFC West first place. You're seven and two. Kansas City Chiefs keeping on, keeping on. This week they're on the road facing the Chargers. Still favored by six and a half, though. Game total fifty. We got a fifty point game total in the year 2022. How about them apples? So with Mahomes somehow. Oh, man career high 326 passing yards he leads the nfl in passing yards and passing touchdowns this is the top ranked scoring offense they're implied for the most points i mean it's just incredible kevin it's i think we wondered you know maybe it's just the kind of lebron mvp thing in basketball where people kind of got tired of just anointing him as the best player in the league but the herbert chatter you know the josh allen is going to be mvp this year chatter it's still Patrick Mahomes and everybody else. Like, do you, is he really just in a tier of his own at the top of the quarterback position? Yeah, yeah. I think he's pretty much been there the entire time post-2018. I mean, maybe he needed to see a little bit more after 2018. But then, of course, the next season, he had some injuries. He wasn't quite as good during the regular season. Lamar Jackson peaked. But then he went through and was so dominant in the playoffs going through and winning the Super Bowl that he reestablished himself there. Yeah, I see. This has become a thing now where – I guess we have to like to defend Patrick Mahomes. I saw <laughs> that former PFFer Eric Eager is now like, it's like, whoa, bold take here. Patrick Mahomes is good. Like, let's, we got to defend this. Like, who are we arguing against here? We do not have to argue against Tua the God 69420 on Twitter about whether or not Tua is as good as Patrick Mahomes. Just put the quote tweets down and just go about your day. That's what I said. Hey, one thing, and maybe I should bring this up to Eric's face instead of on a podcast he won't listen to, but is the man, what I did. This the is man was a Vikings fan, right? What's up with the <laughs> Chiefs? claims stuff? not to be, but I always say that he is truly a Vikings fan, always in his heart. He was a Vikings fan, what, first 20-plus years of his yeah, life, right? Yeah, yeah. You can't switch. Yeah, you what can't have dual. It's like maybe he's trying to play that like AFC NFC thing. No, you know that whole no, thing. I, I don't. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. That's hedging your bets. You got to go forward. You have to just be like me, and I just hate all teams equally. <laughs> um, and that's that's the way we go about it. I'm a sad Cowboys fan. You know, at the end of the day, I don't bring it up all that much because it doesn't really help. And they've just been. Depressing. Are you also a Yankees and Lakers fan? I was born in '93. <laughs> I have seen 
two, maybe three Cowboys playoff wins. So, yeah. Hey, well, I'm a La- I'm a, I grew up in Southern California, so I have to tell everyone when I was a Lakers fan that like, you have to say that immediately. Right after you're like, I'm a Lakers fan, then you're like, but I grew up there, guys. Okay, please, my, before, don't turn on me. Okay, my, yeah. my, my sweet mother did live in Dallas for 10-plus uh, years back in the day, so my house was littered with Cowboys stuff. But guess what? If I was a uh, Bengals or a Browns fan like I am, every other team would probably be a bit happier. But enough of that nonsense. Back to the Chiefs here again Mahomes we got him we need to keep an eye on the injury report Mikko Hardman missed last week with an abdominal injury Juju Smith-Schuster scary concussion took place last week so you think Juju is going to miss at least a week with that I have no idea how the concussion protocol works so we will see from there but Mikko I mean he didn't even practice last week so assuming those two are out we're gonna have MVS on one side Justin Watson on the other and Kadarius Tony all of a sudden getting to be that pretty clear-cut wide receiver three. He did already work well ahead of Sky Moore last week. So, yes, Watson and MBS are going to be out there. But, I mean, Tony had that top targets per out run rate on this offense last week for a reason. He's looked pretty fantastic out there, Kevin. I saw your joke about, you know, Kadarius Tony, like people really fawning over like his athleticism, hopping on one foot when like he probably shouldn't have been that close to the sideline and forced himself to do that in the first place. But beyond that, I mean, the contested catch down the sideline shows that he's even got that part of his game that we haven't even seen all that much of. So if Juju and Miko are out, how high are you willing to go with Kadarius Tony this week? Still someone that's like top 36 or are we saying F it, man, let's go wide receiver two season? I mean, I'm probably still more in the top 36 bucket, although in fairness, I was probably a little bit more down on this than most people. I just the thing for him is he got they manufactured touches for him. So that was that was great. Right. So he got his you know, he got seven targets. He got six catches. He had that touchdown near the goal line, but it was more of a blown coverage type of situation in there and i'm sorry he got five targets in that game but he's gotten seven since he's been back and six catches uh the thing is though 17 routes he ran during this game so i think that's the one thing i want to figure out about Kadarius tony and i think the question maybe going forward is even when he was so good as a rookie everyone was like per route he was this per route he was that um we just we, is he ever going to be a guy who's running every single route this would be one of his best chances to do so i'm still not highly confident because they seem to like guys like um what's his name justin watson and some other guys that they have there final thing in the backfield so <laughs> i kind of brought this up with Dwayne the sunday night review pod it's just the Pacheco McKinnon thing, it reminds me of Darius Slayton and like Wandale Robinson, where we're just so obsessed with the rookie being, you know, the more talented guy because the veterans, you know, been in the league for a while and he's boring. And it's like McKinnon still outscored Pacheco last week. I, yeah, we can talk about the carries all going to Pacheco, but what do we care more about in fantasy? Those sweet, sweet targets. So while we lose Claude Edwards Hilaire from the equation, for a week, I don't know. I'm not completely convinced that CEH is just going to have zero carries every single game moving forward. Pacheco, zero targets last week. He hasn't been used in the past game really at all this season. McKinnon is a guy when they want to throw the ball that they are going to have on the field to throw the ball to. And this is continuing to be one of the most pass-heavy offenses in the league. So if Clyde stays completely out of the picture, great. We have a two-running back committee. and We can live with two running back committees, three or four when things get complicated. But, man – Pacheco like do you see him like all of a sudden getting 20 plus carries and targets consistently Kevin because I think the same stuff that held back Claude Edwards Hilaire this the reality that you have Patrick Mahomes under center why is this going to be a run first offense when you have freaking Patrick Mahomes under center I don't see that changing for Pacheco so I have him ranked RB 20 like it's a very good news for him and everything I just think maybe we're freaking out a little bit too much about it 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a bad offense if that's happening. So that's not yeah. what, what they're going to want to do. A bad offense relative to what they could be. Sure. So that's not what they're going to want to do. I think the upside case, though, is probably still a little bit stronger for Pacheco because maybe he could fall into the end zone like two times uh, during a game in addition to racking up 60, 70, maybe as high as 100 rushing yards if they really lean into it in a particular game. But the floor is always going to be extremely low. As we've seen with these Chiefs games, I mean, does Andy Reid just have like a whole other playbook he pulls out when they get inside the 10 yard line? I mean, the amount of like underhand flips, Travis Kelsey direct snaps and stuff, it gets wild. But yeah, only two offenses this year throwing the ball over 70% of their snaps inside the 10 yard line are the Chiefs and the Chargers, who we are now getting to second place at five and four this season. Once again, six and a half point home dogs against the Chiefs. Austin Eckler, he's been fantastic, and especially in this matchup against the Chiefs team that does regularly invite you know opposing running backs to get those checkdowns a lot of times that's because they're already up by a bunch of points and that's just what the game script necessitates but regardless last seven games for Eckler against KC he's finished as the PPR RB4 8 5 15 15 6 and 15 so pretty damn nice floor and ceiling right there which takes us to the conversation about the wide receiver room and just Justin Herbert in this passing game because has it been pretty Kevin a lot of the conversation about Herbert was talking before the year like could he be you know someone we're discussing neck and neck with Patrick Mahomes and honestly some people I think already were going into the season the one thing I do want to say a uh, shout out Daniel Popper over the, at the athletic and you know, one of my favorite beat writers out there does fantastic stuff with the Chargers he brought up this point at the end of the 49ers game where here are the Chargers players not available by the end of that game Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Joey Bosa, J.C. Jackson, Rashawn Slater, Trey Pipkins, Gerald Everett, Donald Parham, Dustin Hopkins, Josh Kelly, Christian Covington, Austin Johnson, and Jalen Guyton, and a couple other guys whose names I cannot pronounce. So a lot, a lot, a lot of injuries out here, Kevin. And I do think that you can even look at Justin Herbert continuing to play through that rib issue in and of itself. Last season, guys like Cordero Patterson, like even Ezekiel Elliott, I tried to give you know the benefit of the doubt when they were playing through the injuries because – I think in situations like this, we note the injuries have happened the week of and maybe the week after. But at some point, we just get used to seeing Herbert throwing the ball to Josh Palmer, DeAndre Carter, and Michael Bandy. And we're like, come on, man, do something about it. But similar to what you said, you know, about Tennessee and how we're not really making the same sort of excuses for Tannehill as you might with other quarterbacks. I do think those excuses are relevant here for Justin Herbert, given this walking graveyard of an offense he's been forced to play in. Yeah, I think they're relevant. I mean, maybe going into the season, I thought it was within the realm of possibility that he could be in the conversation with Patrick Mahomes as the best quarterback in the league. That has dampered a little bit on his at least inability to lift this very limited supporting cast even higher than what it has been. It's probably been a little bit disappointing. And the receivers, you talked about all the issues there. The one thing that may be of interest, and it like it's very maybe, maybe, is the fact that Isaiah Spiller, the rookie, seems to have a hold on the number two yeah. job there. Now, if Eckler were to go down, would it be such a disgusting split with Sony Michelle or whoever that it wouldn't matter? Possibly, but he is the rookie. So maybe, maybe he has some hope there. And he was a guy who was seen as being the maybe tier 1B to Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker at the beginning of the draft process, and then he just completely bricked the combine and everything else and fell all the way down to the fifth round, I think. Um, but he's got some talent. He, he put up a lot of yards for Texas A&M, at least. 
final few notes here, just got some updates over on the old Twitter sphere as we're recording this Wednesday afternoon. Some of the uh, practice stuff coming in. Sean McDermott did say Naeem Hines will be worked in on offense. Don't think it's going to be enough for him to be a fantasy factor, though, so I wouldn't o- overly worry about it. Ty Montgomery undergoing season-ending shoulder surgery. So again, wasn't overly concerned about Ramondre Stevenson losing his job back to Ty Montgomery, but guess what? People are just going to continue to not mention, unless I do, Kevin, that Ty Montgomery did have that passing down role all the way back in week one uh dallas goddard placed on ir we'll talk more about that in the nfc edition juju is not practicing on wednesday which is going to put him you know more so on the doubtful side of being able to suit up this week um i think there was one more thing oh yeah andy reed did say chiefs to continue to use running back by committee quote unquote working to get clyde edwards hilarious touches so again that's the only thing there we've seen this over you know this season aaron jones and aj Dillon and stuff one-week samples of a changing committee aren't always what they appear to be. So, yes, Pacheco does seem to be the lead dog. I'd expect him to have more touches than any other running back in this backfield, more weeks not moving forward. Just don't necessarily look at last week and assume it's going to be the case day in and day out. In terms of the Chargers, though, just got to keep an eye on these injuries for right now. You know, make sure you guys tune in to the Friday edition of this podcast. Myself and Nick Botifer go through every single fantasy relevant injury because Mike Williams does seem to have a decent chance to come back and play after missing the last few weeks. Keenan Allen perpetually day to day. You can imagine maybe he'll play football again this year. Maybe he's silent quitting. I have no idea. So if they're both still out, Josh Palmer. Yeah, he's someone that we can, you know, maybe squeeze in that top 24. But there is a floor here. And we've talked about that. I mean, even before. Keenan Allen's been out this whole season. There's been a floor here for Josh Palmer. So wide receiver 57 last week after the top uh, back-to-back top 22 finishes the two weeks before. Also need to keep an eye on Gerald Everett dealing with that groin injury. Considered day-to-day, but per coach Brandon Staley, expect to be back at practice at some point this week. In third place, three and six Broncos. I I think this team officially pisses me off more than the Cardinals, Kevin. Like that's been the one squad. And again, it'd be easy to say the Texans because they're just, you know, that much of a trash team and really organization at this point. But with the Broncos, the talent should be there. But my God, it's the only team in the league without 20 plus points in even three games this year. Their season high points is 23 against this Raiders team in week four. And they couldn't even get 300 yards of offense in that game. And the most damning stat, you know, friend of the podcast here at Ryan Cohensburg on Twitter, they would be eight and one. Their offense just scored 18 points in regulation like every single game. The defense has allowed more than 20 points one time. If Russ and them were just okay, man, they could be leading this division. This is so brutal. I don't see it turning around. How could it? This is a bottom five, bottom three. If you want to call them bottom one offense, that is fine by me. So Kevin, unfortunately, just popped out of the podcast. He might be so pissed off about, honestly, just the Broncos that he couldn't even deal with uh, life there. So one of those things that, you know what, we'll ride with the punches and just Kevin can't talk about the Broncos, and honestly, I'm pretty tired of talking about them too. At this point, even in a winnable matchup at home against the Raiders, Denver favored by two and a half, game total at 41 and a half. We have Greg Dolchich here, is playing more than ever. He missed a big chunk down the field. I'm not going to you know, completely stop going back to well with him because of one dud. So Greg Dolchich is still a low-end tight end one. Colton Sutton, it was good to see him do something last week. I mean, he made a pair of really nice catches. The one-hander on the comeback, I'm sure a lot of you guys saw on Red Zone. So he did come back, you know, 552 and one on seven targets against the Raiders back in week four. 
Probably no Jerry Judy. He had that injury on the first play of the game last week. Obviously, Tim Patrick's out of the issue. KJ Hamler's dealing with this hamstring issue, I believe. So it's just wild to me, guys, because I am trusting Cortland Sutton, given all those injuries at this point, to be able to come back and do something. But I have him ranked as my wide receiver 18. ahead of guys like Gabriel Davis, Josh Palmer, Deontay Johnson, and DJ Moore. I mean, that was like where we were drafting him back in August under the assumption that a lot of these guys were going to be healthy. You know, Patrick, obviously not quite in that but the fact that Cortland Sutton with no other wide receivers on this offense for target competition in a winnable matchup against the Raiders and I can barely get myself to squeeze him in the top 20 that's where we're standing at this point and we don't care about this three-headed mess of a backfield inside of the league single worst offense in points per game gonna finish things up here with the Raiders still two and seven in last place once again they're in Denver this week Denver two and a half point home favorites so Derek Carr crying after the game, feel for the guy. I mean, just imagine having to go through all that and then have to immediately go talk to the world about just how bad you're, you know, yourself and just the season has been going for the squad. Five-year lows, PFF passing grade, passer rating, yards per attempt, adjusted completion rate, all bad. So offense has not been as healthy as they've hoped, obviously, Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. But sheesh, man, we have Devontae Adams, we have Josh Jacobs, and those are the only two guys we can fully trust and fancy at this point. So Fossa Moreau, every down roll, that's going to keep him, you know, in the positions top 15, even borderline tight end one status. We also have Matt Collins, who led last week and unrealized air yards if you're into that kind of thing. Just realized a lot of those were of the prayer yards of variety. So, hey, Broncos, again, one of these defenses that we do need to worry about. But in terms of Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs, at least with those guys, I do think we can feel more than fine about them moving forward. That's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Guys, Kevin has, you know, these Unexpected Points podcast, tons of other good stuff on PFF.com, and I'm hoping he'll be back with me here in a second to go break down every single NFC team. So, hey, I don't blame the man. Broncos and Raiders, those are two pretty tough teams to talk about. Hopefully, Kevin gets his internet connection figured out, and we are just fine. As always, you can find my positional breakdowns on PFF.com. Sheesh reports out every single Tuesday. Mismatch Manifesto on Friday, and also got some great notes injury-wise and a collab I do every single week with our pff injury expert mario Pilato. so we out here grinding week 11 guys let's go get these fantasy teams in the playoffs and then go win some championships for there so for kevin i'm ian thanks for tuning in the pff fantasy football podcast and until next time take care everybody